Welcome to the very first of our Legends podcast specials from the Ultrasound System Pod. I'm Anna Harding. I'm Ali Bailey. And these are episodes where you don't get the usual rubbish from us, but an actual interview with an actual legend. And they're also going to be going out because one of us has decided to swan off on holidays or something. Yes, indeed. Over the course of the next few months, year or until someone stops us, we're going to be interviewing people we know, sometimes together, sometimes apart, um, to get a bit of an insight into the world of ultra running that we don't think other podcasts give you. No, we're going to interview incredible, inspiring people from the world of ultra with a bit of a twist. These are people that you might not have actually heard of. So the likes of support and safety team members, runners out there doing amazing stuff for charity, race volunteers and race directors. We believe that these people deserve the credit, love and opportunity to share some of the stories that other podcasts don't. So you're not going to get uh, your usual humble bragging, FKT bagging, Wayne White wandering, spine finishing, mountain bothering overachievers although we are going to get Damien Hall on at some point. They will be people myself and Anna know and love who we think are vital to the stuff we do. We'd love your recommendations for people to talk to. So if you know someone that fits the bill, send them our way by dropping us an email or sending us a DM on Instagram. And you can get all our contact details if you head over to Instagram at Ultrasound System Pod. Hit the link tree, send us some stuff. So without further ado, bring on the legends. I am thrilled to introduce uh, a man that I credit for getting me up and over some of the worst mountains in the UK and one who Anna has correctly described recently as a national treasure. So you might not recognise the name Stuart Smith, but I can guarantee that if you've done events involving either the Lake District, Wales, Scotland, Capes of Wrath, Dragons with Backs or anything with a bit of a dangerous hill in it, this man will have been there making sure you don't get lost, fall off a ridge or die. Yes, Stu Smith is an adventure and international expedition leader based in Cumbria with over 25 years experience working in the outdoors. There's basically not a lot that Stu doesn't know about mountain leadership safety and outdoor survival his qualifications read like a what's what of how to do stuff and not to die some of them include international mountain leader uh, expedition mountain bike leader first aider kayak canoe climbing instructor his cv is basically longer than the river thames he is also a regional representative of the british association of international mountain leaders he is a member of Patterdale Mountain Rescue Team, Long Distance Walkers Association and lifetime member of the Felt Runners Association. Busy guy. And if that's not enough, Anna. What? That's not enough. I've got more. Uh, as well as this, I've got more. As well as this, Stu is trained in expedition medicine, outdoor first aid and participated in the production of filming of a number of high profile TV and film productions, which we will go into, including his own life story. Uh, he's been on and continues to be an integral part of the safety team on a number of groundbreaking events across the globe and is currently working on expeditions to Morocco, Peru, Patagonia, Mongolia, India, Japan, Everest Base Camp, Greenland and Tanzania, as well as working on almost every safety team in the <laughs> world. He's also been on every safety team that you've ever run. Any race you've run, she's probably been on it. He helps train mountain and trail runners for events such as the OM, Dragon's Back, Great Lakeland Three Day, The Spine, Dark Mountains and the Lakeland 100. And along with Joe Faulkner, runs Navfall Adventure, who are an incredible company who design and lead navigation and safety courses for small groups and individuals. Stuart Smith, national treasure, fucking legend. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm not sure about all that national treasure business. I sound like I should be buried, really. They get Tony come digging me up. I think you should be on a coin, though, at yeah. least. If we did 
if we did bury Maybe. next to you, um, I could find you because you've taught me how to read a map. Yeah, you'd have to have a, like, a map of where I am. Or, and mind you, it's going to be you two that's going to be burying me, really. I've got another however long sitting here after that um, tumultuous spur of literacy. Oof, crikey. This interview's <laughs> taken a turn already, hasn't it? I didn't expect this to happen. Um, anyway, Stu, thank you so much for coming on. We both, me and Anna both love you. I believe our first encounter was on Goat Fell on uh, the the beautiful Scottish Isle of Arran, uh, where I was crying while scrambling up a chimney. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank goodness Lord Chastry came along and stopped children going up chimneys. That's all I can say. <laughs> exactly. Could you remember what you said to me? I get a bloody move on or something like that. I think it was. Step over there and stop whinging. It was quite similar. It was said with love and compassion as I was crying and going, oh, I don't like it, I don't want to do it. Uh, you said to me, you said to me, calm down. You said, put your hand over there on that rock. And I put my hand on and you went, not that rock. That one's been there 10 minutes. The other one's been there 10 million years. And I went, okay. <laughs> but I did, I did eventually get to the top of the hill. And uh, I was very grateful, extremely grateful. Um, and then Anna happened upon you in the Lake District, I believe. Yeah. Do you remember? Yeah. The uh, I think the first time I came across you, you were regaling the room of tales of string vests. Oh yeah, they're, they're they're a thing of beauty. Maybe not in the eye of the beholder, but of everybody else, obviously. And they're just too shy to say it. They are actually a a survival garment, right? Yeah, pretty much so. Yeah, it's like the Norwegian Navy used to make them up, and then commandos used to make them. Um, when I did some research on string vests, I went to the Commando Memorial Museum in Fort William, and they used to knit them up like a one single piece of string and that was apparently like a survival thing that you could uh, abseil out of a window on it or something like that if you got stuck in a high tower like Rapunzel the commando that's yeah okay we're like five minutes into this podcast and my mind has already been blown so if the navy were if someone in the navy was wearing a string vest they could unravel it and they use the string to escape yeah 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 not commandos not what yeah, yeah. So they could unravel it, and they could like um, tie, tie people up with it, or do string theory, like maybe with Sheldon sitting involved. Hey, I did a talk once on the string theory at the arm thing, the, the original Mountain Marathon two-day event, and they asked me to do a to talk to a, full, a room full of people from everybody from elite winners to newbies there. Um, I thought, hey, I don't know what to talk about now. So I changed all my scripts and I just did it on a piece of string um, to about, I don't know how many people were. I didn't count them. I'm not Rain Man. I couldn't do all that bit. So I did a talk. I just, I, I so wish I'd been there. That's all I can think of is I just so wish I'd been there. <laughs> so do I, really. From <laughs> Just one last bit on string vests, because this genuinely is like, it, it's blown my mind. And, and for people thinking, you know, maybe they don't, they don't think that we're talking about, you know, the string vest that they wear in the royal family. That is exactly what you're talking about as a base layer. Why is it good for you in, in ultras and extreme situations again? Well, it, it, I've used it in, a, in hot weather. I've worn it in like 45 degrees in, in Delhi and things like that, under a shirt sort of thing. And um, what keeps you warm is, um, oh, go on, this will be a quiz question for you two. 
What is the best insulator? What's the best insulator? Water. Nope. Air. Correct. Yes. Yeah. What what type of air, Ali? Not my on not on, obviously not on my air. Body heat air. Uh still dry air is insulator, yeah. So that those right, little holes in air. your string vest, they'll capture many, many uh what do you call it, compartments of, of dry air. And you make it still by putting like a windproof over the top of it. And the reason it's dry is because the fabric is hydrophobic, like polypropylene. And um, so therefore it doesn't like water and um, it stays dry. And therefore you move moisture through uh, the fabric because it doesn't like it onto your windproof and away from your body. Um, this is actually very helpful and <laughs> informative. Oh, really? Um, and then you get companies now that are making them um, sort of out of wool, and wool doesn't wick. That's a bit of a myth busted there. Um, lots of people go, merino, yeah, one when wet. Yeah, what about merino wool? I've got loads of merino wool stuff. Brew. I only wear it in the winter. It's like a brew. It's warm when it's wet, and it's sort of pleasant. Um, but it's why stay warm and wet when you'd be where would be warm and dry. So if you want to be warm and dry, what would be better than merino wool? String vest. Polypropylene. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. I am nodding for those people who are watching in um, uh, Vision On. What, no, one's what, no one's watching in Vision On. Everybody's got to imagine the majesty that sits before us. Stuart's currently is currently sat on a very <laughs> large throne made of beer barrels in quite an airy, what looks like a castle. Interestingly. It is a castle, ah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's got beams. Tucked away. No, it doesn't mean to say it's just got beams. <laughs> That's fanging all our um, peasants and ducks and, yeah, that wander around outside. Deer. String vests. Deer in string vests. <laughs> that's what my book's going to be called. Well, that's the other thing. How much do you pay for a merino wool top? <laughs> a lot of money. Is it is it a clean um, system and a sustainable system? Not really. Same with um, bamboo. I've got to be honest with you. My my merino wool tops stink. Like I've had them for about five years, and because I'm a green runner, I refuse to 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 get rid of them. But then I wore one the other day because it was a bit bit nippy in uh, in Yorkshire, and it absolutely stinks. Even my dog was like, <laughs> "No, well, well, it stinks or not, though, does it? It's everybody's stinking the same thing." I mean, we went away on some expedition once, and all of a sudden, this this young lad's sprayed himself with Lynx Africa or whatever it was. I hope we were in Africa because that'd be more popular wasn't it but um another story about Lynx Africa as well actually and um anyway he sprayed himself we never had a, a wash for about nine or ten days or so something like that the next thing he's the one that's stinking like a teenager's bedroom and we're the ones who are smelling all the same basically so if, if, if all these runners it's are setting time. off and they're all stinking so be it Nobody notices, do they? It's when you start doing something else that makes it less, more stinky, or different stinky. Yeah, like going in the like going in the co-op after my run and people side eyeing me, and me being like, <laughs> "Hello, I'm fit." I think co-oping Gargrave, that heater element in that shop in there, is has got more sweaty gloves in there than soft make really. I've actually got an idea for a TV show called. Uh... The, both, the dry room bothy challenge where you get a bothy dry room in like 
December when it's really wet mm-hmm. and you put someone in it with all the shoes and everything else and you see how long they can survive. I think it could be like a military survival thing. It'd be like one of those Japanese game shows that went like Mr. Shaky Handman and, and Kamikaze kind of custard or whatever it was. And it would just go, yeah. wouldn't it? <clears throat> it would be rancid. I reckon I could set that up for quite a while, really. It depends on what your provisions are. Well, we've we've gone quite nicely down the TV show route. And I'm really interested to know, because this is something I didn't know about you, Stu Smith, and listeners will not know either, that you've been involved in the making and supervising of some some TV shows. Tell me about that. Oh, I'm a, I'm a really, really small cog in a, in a big system that leads a lot of WD-40, really. As Ali would attest to, it, obviously everything is either lube or poo with her. Yeah. So it's, a, you know, I'm that small cog that needs lubing up, really, in that big system. It, um, I did, we did some photo shoots for, for some um, outdoor companies and some sort of fashion companies and things like that. I worked with fashion companies sort of direct when they, they were raising money for teenage cancer and things like that. Uh, and then some TV programmes that came out were, um, we did some adventure, like, um, what do you call it? adventure racing programmes. So they'd been racing for like five days or something like that. And we were up in up in the Langdales and I put some ropes up and then it absolutely wazzed it down. So I had to go and shift the ropes and put them somewhere else because it was just, even with the ropes, we just couldn't sort of make it safe for everybody who'd been probably not sleep for two or three days or something like that, maybe two days. Um, so I just went and shifted some ropes and and uh, and that was that was put on TV on Channel Four, and then um, not the you rest- shifting the ropes. You shifting the ropes wasn't just what they put on Channel Four, were they? God, I got a face for radio. I mean, they they give me a jacket and it was like it was even big on me. I just take a little bit longer to grow into it. And they said, oh, you can't be on to, like a film cameraman. One of the guys who's with us, he's, he's, quite, he's a really nice bloke, based in the South Lakes, and he's done quite a lot. Sort of summited Everest, if that means out, really. Um, it's just a walk, isn't it? Uh, and then, <laughs> it's just a busy walk. It's like Yorkshire Three Peaks right. on a Saturday now. <laughs> queuing for Harrods on New Year's Day or something, yeah. isn't it? It's just what a money. Um, people go, Ooh, and that's about it. You You're know? not guaranteed to get a bargain. Um, You're not guaranteed to come home. No, that's true. Yeah, cracking. Well, yeah, and then anyway, he's like, no, you can't be on the, you can't be on the picture because you're, uh, you're not wearing the jacket sort of thing. I said, you and me both could get in it if you just want to, just want to bite on this little bit of crag and. Like one of, the, like one of those um life systems double bivy tent things, but a coat. No, it was quite. It's quite a high brand, really, and they were, uh, they they were sponsoring the events, And then we were, uh, we were in. I was. I worked on some comic relief stuff and sport relief stuff. For a couple of years. Well, PC when everything was post-COVID, pre-COVID. Sorry. Mm, sure. We did that together, didn't we, Stu? Yeah, one of them, and then the other one, the sport relief. Was it sport relief or comic relief? Comic relief, I think. We were doing like an egg and spoon race across Cumbria or something like that with a red nose balance on a spoon. That sounds yeah. dangerous. What was the risk assessment yeah. like for that? <laughs> I don't know. I just read some risk assessments and that was about it, really. Exactly. If, you, if, the, if the nose does fall off and you have to get down to get it, make sure you bend your knees, keep your back straight, yeah? 
Um, so uh, I have to work back straight to keep my, my girdle things off, doesn't it? <laughs> so um, when we did Sport Relief in Namibia in 2019, mm. before mm. COVID, Stu actually became a bit of a celebrity. I'm going to be honest with you, Dessa, because one of the reasons I wanted to get him on is because he is uh, one of those people that gets on so well with other people that it just makes you just make people feel really comfortable. So there's a lot of situations that you work in that are actually quite dangerous. And I mean, a desert is quite dangerous. Um, And uh, with that event, I just remember that we were everybody else on the team was to keep away from, in inverted commas, the talent. But Stu was around the campfire every night with them, chatting to them, having all the lols. He became like the ultimate celebrity. It was very impressive. And th- and then you took Judge Rinder out on some sort of long walk afterwards. We did, yeah, uh, up in the Lake District. And Greg Rutherford came as well, the, the Olympic long jumper. Uh, two-time gold medal Olympic long jumper. He's got legs like a kangaroo, that lad. All he needs is a pouch on the front of him. <laughs> <laughs> Pouch and a string there. And there was a, and Nick Grimshaw, I give him a dung beetle and he, he didn't like that really. He seems to go, <laughs> a lot. <laughs> I <laughs> gave Nick Grimshaw a dung beetle. <laughs> and Frankie Bridges, she, she, would, she wouldn't hold it either. No, she wouldn't. The dung beetle. It's quite funny, actually, because when, when people, you know, people need medical attention on that trip. There's dehydration, there were blisters. But when Frankie Bridges needed medical attention, when she had blisters, every medic within 500 kilometres of the desert seemed to want to help. When anyone else had them, I'm interested. Especially had those blisters, though, and that's what made it a bit different. Yeah, true. <laughs> um, okay, serious question. Um, how did so how did you get into doing what you do? And um, that's the first question. How did you get into doing it? And the second one is that I'm interested in is how in the last 10 years, since the outdoors has become fashionable on Instagram, what have you seen change in people's attitudes towards sort of safety and planning when it comes to hill, fell, mountain running? Oh, that's like double the difficulty now. I've been two questions. Yeah. I'm only a I'll answer the first one first then, because that seems logical. Um, I guess my hobby became my job. I was doing quite quite a bit of stuff, outdoorsy stuff. Uh, I was racing for a mountain bike team. I was uh, um, doing lots of time trials on, on bikes, and I was doing lots of hill walking and bits of kayaking because I couldn't go climbing because it was too wet or whatever, and I thought I might as well get wet. Then I was a bit of a crap kayaker, and I ended up like, hydroblasting quite a lot recently. Um, and then um, I was fixing computers for a while. I got made redundant fixing computers, and I thought, well, I've not a lot else to do. So I ended up sort of doing some outdoorsy stuff, first of all in youth services around Lancashire. And then I got a job up in Cumbria with the Outbound Trust. Uh, and I managed to stay there for a few years and um, come to a bit of a cul de sac of a career development. And then uh, went freelance, so I've been freelance for this time around, um, 20 something, 20 years. And then, has uh, that answered that question? Yes, it has answered that question. Yeah. Oh, splendid. Full stop, next sentence, next paragraph, line shift, return. Bing. See, that's how I used to use typing as well. We used to go typing on the Friday afternoon at college. And at typing, we were in a different college, so we used to go past the shop 
and then not really bother what to type in. Um, so the other question. The second second question. question. You'll have to remind me now. I've forgotten. So this is this is basically around our this idea that we do this thing where we say where we have wins, grims, and get in the bins. Mm-hmm. And I'm just interested to know from the job you do is pretty important and uh and not not always fun, right? Because sometimes you're telling people no. Sometimes you're like, no, we can't do that. That's 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 not how you do things. That's quite dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah. so what what have you seen in the last ten years? I, I guess since social media, I feel like social media tells people they can do things and they can do whatever they want. And when it comes to the outdoors, that's a blessing and a curse. So is there anything you've seen or or, or that get really gets on your nerves about people? Using the outdoors differently to how they maybe did twenty years ago. I think I think there's we've, I don't quite know how to put my finger on it. There's a missing link that seems to happen. There's an apprenticeship that seems people seem don't seem to have gone through, and I don't I can't box that apprenticeship off to something. I say we should have all done this. We should have all listened to all all beardy weirdies in check shirts. And fortunately, I'm a bit of a weirdy beardy, but not got a check shirt on at the moment. I can swap it if you like. I don't mind. Mm-hmm. Actually, what's underneath? Take it off. You've got a string vest on underneath anyway. So. No, it's my onesie tonight. And then, yeah. so I ended up with, uh, I ended up thinking that we, we, people, not not just sort of, uh, like the general public, I think, have sort of missed a little bit of an education. I remember like the Countryside Code and the like two cartoon people, oh, that, that, uh, like they're complaining about the red-faced farmer doing one of them country dances. And he was just moaning about litter and people taking wall, stones out of walls and chucking them at ducks and whatnot and, and things like that. Uh, and we, we got all that sort of thing. And then learning lessons from from people who were giving you sort of their direct experience, not just an opinion, um, where, whereas you get lots of opinions now. Because of social media, I guess, you can have, I don't know how many people are on um various pages, you can, you know, like 3,000 people, for example, can all give you their opinion on what they think is is right, wrong, or whatever. And that's really valid if you can sort of sort the weeds out from the chaff, but I, I don't quite know how you put your finger on that to go, that is rubbish and that is good wheat sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. I guess that's part of, part, of the, part of the changes, part of social media changes. And then you've got two or three platforms to look at, whether it's... Uh, I can't get LinkedIn at all. It's just like, it, it used to be sort of business sort of stuff and now it just seems like posh Facebook for posh Facebookers. Is it? I thought LinkedIn was when you didn't have a job. Well, that's what I, I don't usually. was originally. I thought like, oh, I need a job. I need this, this, this and this. And um, and you sort of found, found something. You know, job centres went down the drain then queuing up in the door office after LinkedIn were appearing. And then you got Twitter, Instagram, TikTok these days, and, and is, is MySpace still going? Bebo, are they still out there? Are they relevant? No, Grandad, Bebo. they're gone. <laughs> you got threads now. Threads. Hey, old man, we got threads. I don't even know. I don't even know what threads is. I'm refusing to go on threads because I'm just like, no more. I'm telling me how many streaks you've got. How many what? Streaks. I don't really know. What streaks? What. Yeah, I don't really know. What. Do you mean followers? No, no, streaks. It's like, from what I was told the other day, I was working with a DV group and they, they had to have their phones wrapped up and sort of sealed. And they're like, I've got like 400 streaks and it means like you've talked to somebody for 400 days non-stop or something like that. 
non. I mean, I don't mean non-stop. That's your. That's your and Anna's job. You do. You two seem to command that. Um, no, I mean, you know, like I could. You could have contacted me for four hundred days, and that's kept a streak up. And I was like, right, we'll have some street time then out in the out in the Lake District, and and I was just like, I'm capitulating to some guff here, aren't I? Really, but, but it's hard to earn guff, I think, in some ways. It could just be like a five-minute, like, how are you doing, Ellie? How are you doing, Ellen? Bye. I'm just going to, from now on, every day, for the, to the end of time, I'm just going to send Stuart a message that says, hi. Well, like this message is, <laughs> hi, 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 hi. If you break the streak, is the streak broken for both of us? I think so, yeah. I think that's how it works. Like, you'd have to ask a young person. I don't really know. I think, like as the young person in the room, I think what you're talking about is Snapchat, I think. Oh, yeah, we're on Snapchat, yeah. Yeah. Are you on yeah. Snapchat, Stu? No, I'm on Crapchat. <laughs> hey. There we go. It's no long. This is no longer known as the Legends podcast. It's known as Crapchat. <laughs> so I think I think what Ali was trying to get at was some, like, juicy tales of basically where people have gone out on hills in flip-flops or Crocs and bikinis and not realised that actually trying to go up Ben Nevis for an Instagram shot can actually, in the wrong footwear and in the wrong weather, be pretty treacherous. And have you ever come across idiots like that? I think that's what she was getting at. Um, it's a learning curve. It's hard to call them idiots publicly. Um, <laughs> but Good. Um, Under, underprepared hikers. Uh, uh, learning, learning curve. Somewhere on that steep section of the learning curve, I think. Maybe that's being too nice as well. Sometimes you do have to really, really point your finger at some people. Yeah, obviously, you know, you've had um, people um, sort of saying, oh, I've got a bit of cramp. Can can you get me some help? Um, I'm completely lost. I didn't bring a torch, you know, and the weather's, what is it, October and the times has changed or something like that. There's, a, there's all sorts of, like, this is a part in that past of that, missing out on that apprenticeship, I think, where people just don't have, it's like, what do you carry in your bag? And I've seen this on so many forums. It's like somebody sort of said, I can't get all my mandatory kit into me, five litre stretchy vest. You know, well, get, get a 10 litre stretchy vest then, David. <laughs> it's it's such common sense in some ways it's such common sense things that you just think well it's common sense is not just not being applied to this situation going up I would, you know anybody can go up a mountain there's, there's a guy who's famous he's for the naked rambler um, and he wanders around as the name implies um, yet he's got a bag on his back with enough kit in it that if it all was a bit peaked on he can get the kit out and, and get it on if necessary. And he's acclimatising. Um, I, I guess from what I've seen, it must be a bit cold <laughs> where he is, but um, not quite sure. <laughs> I, I wouldn't like to cast nasturtium. Would you say he's on a streak? <laughs> <laughs> that for you, Ali, is actually quite funny. <laughs> it is quite funny, isn't it? <laughs> I was going to ask yeah. if you have you ever have you worked on the on the TV show Naked Alone and Trying to Get Home? No, I have seen it though, flicking through channels, and I've watched a little bit of it, and it it just seems to be very American. They like carry like a satchel or something, and um, and I've blurred out bits all the time. And you think, well, this is a bit rubbish, isn't it? It's not what I've what I've, it's, 
It's not what I've tuned in for. I've tuned in for here for being naked, alone, and scared. Is that the same program? No. Yeah, but Ali, how Wait, did there's you watch naked the and afraid, pixelated which one. is American. Then there's naked, alone, and trying to get home, which is English. Um, so that one's that one's based in Noidart. Oh. They take them up to Noidart for three days, and uh, it's just it's delightful. This is it's an absolute delight of a show. I hope they weren't where I were then. That would have shocked me, and then they be shocked. Do you know what? I don't think it would have shocked you. Gurious grasses. No. Bamboo. That were it. That was the answer. Uh, bamboo. Do you know what this is? And this, this is the gold. This is the gold of why we got Stu Smith on the legends. Oh, oh legend. Hey, it seems to be failing here. I'm going. I'm getting darker and darker. I like it. It's because it's. it's... Should have bought your head torch, Stu. Yes, Stu. Where's your backup light source? No. It's behind me there. Oh, yeah. That's, that's definitely... You can do things like that. That's not, that. 300, that's not 300 lumens, I'm telling you. Um, it is. So... So, yeah, people can, can go and wear what, whatever they want as long as they um, sort of have some responsibility for themselves and for others, really, I think, is the, is the answer on that one. So tell us about the... Big boy races that you um, and Joe and, and everyone else provide support for, and I'm talking Cape Wrath, Dragon's Back, Spine Safety Team. What are some of the the things you've seen on that where you've just gone, oh, that's not good? Um, people get cold quite quickly. They forget to put on clothing. They forget to um, they get too hot. Um, certainly, there's been. Uh, events where it's been very, very hot. Uh, not so much in Scotland. Well, it was warm in Scotland. Um, I don't really see very much with a spine event anymore. Um, and it was still quite a fledgling thing when I was involved with them. Um, I have been involved with the Dragon's Bike event since 2012. Um I would have been there in 1992, but I wasn't good enough. Oh. I made the right choice of not running it because I just wasn't good. Have you ever run it? Not as the Dragon's Back, no. But um, I've run a few days of it on my own because I don't know anyone. <laughs> and it was just easier to do it that That's way. That's what I think I'm going to end up doing, just going and doing it on my own one day, like not worrying about cutoffs because <clears throat> it's just an absolute bastard. I ran around the Tour of Mont Blanc years ago, and then obviously the UTMB got invented. There's a bike bike route in the lakes, which I used to just know about all the passes, and now it's become the Fred Whitten. Uh, we, I cycled it. You know, it's, it's there all year round, and um, I didn't need all that bells, whistles, and height to go with it, uh, or the cost, basically. So I, I went and ran around the Tour of Mont Blanc before the UTMB took over August or whatever it is to, to run around it on many, many races. But the, uh, ooh, what what do we do? Uh, well, I've, it, with the Dragon's Back, I've done quite a role, different roles. I've sort of been, what do you call it, partway bag, bag man or something like that, where you take your bag down and everybody comes around, ferrets around in the bag and goes off again. And that, that was that was an interesting job. You get to see everybody, I guess. You get to see some tactics of what happens with drop bag. Is it a drop bag or is, is that what you call it? Yeah, it's a drop bag, yeah. Yeah. Bit of shopping really, isn't it? And um oh crikey. 
we we did a we had a drop bag thing on the Pennine thirty nine recently, an A four event recently, and it was like an A four poly poly ziplock bag thing. We had everything in there from um, bras to knickers to um, little Dave put tin, bottles of Mackison in it once. He had one bottle for on the way out, and one bottle on the way back, sort of thing on on something else, and then one bag, all it had was a jelly baby and a cable tie. And that was it. <laughs> jelly baby. And when I when I saw the bloke, it was it happened to be the bloke's birthday as well. And when I saw the bloke, he, I was like, how come you've just got how come you're so confident that you just need one jelly baby? And why is it green as opposed to purple or whatever it was? And he said, Well I just thought I'd just try and see what happens. He said, but I don't remember putting a cable tie in there. <laughs> I think maybe that's one that Joe put in or something to, to, to put his labels on. But uh, yeah, that's, that's sort of... That's a boss move. But the fact that he even had a drop bag with one jelly baby in, I love this person. He sounds like a renegade. He's a... Yeah, he's just... I think he's just recently moved to Cumbria as well. But there we go. I don't know too much about his factory. And um, so you, you see loads and loads of things, I, I guess, from... What is it now? Like 20... 2012 to now, so 11 years, I guess. I've seen quite a lot of change, but it was only biannually. Cape Wrath and um, Dragon's Back was one was one year, one was the other year, which, which is what biannually is. Um, <laughs> Thanks for that. No, I, just, I didn't wish to patronise you, which means talking down to you. But I thought. <laughs> I know, we know you're not talking to us, you're talking to our stupid listeners, because you know. You've heard, you've, heard the con- you've heard the content of the podcast, you know they're very basic. So thank you for explaining. Oh, okay. Well, if I keep it at a basic level, we should be all right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I've changed, and now I'm, I'm, we're, I'm on a, as part of a response team, a small cog within the response team, uh, where we, we could be on scene. If it takes an hour, for example, to put a 999 call in and somebody get somebody falls over um, and it takes an hour for a team even to mobilise and then get out on the hill or, or helicopters to get involved or whatever it is, we, we can be there reasonably quickly and have some sort of intervention that's going to prolong a bit of hopefully people staying a wee bit warmer and a bit more comfortable than just sitting on the hill in one of those survival bags that people think is the be all and end all of the race kit. It's not though, is it, Stu? What is the be all and end all of, of kit that you should take that isn't a bivy bag? String vest. No. Bottle of Wainwright. <laughs> Bottle of Wainwright. He says, <laughs> casually slurping a sip. No, a two man two man tent. No. Yeah, there's a there's a bit of a phrase boffies before bandages. So the idea of that is. Whether it's a survival shelter or Zatsky Sack or Kisu, whatever you call it, get inside that and get outside the elements, get away from the elements, and then start doing your first aid. So you're right, a two-man shelter is pretty useful if you're on your own. If there's two of you running together, a four, I would I would size it up uh, and take a, and and possibly a set mat because conduction is conduction is a killer. Da, da, da. We can have a, uh, there you go. There's the podcast put, title. Put a, put a noise in there, Anna. Put a scary noise yeah. in there. Yeah. Conduction is a killer. <laughs> Love it. That's the noise. That's the noise. That's the noise. So, uh, I could lower the tone. Oh, yeah. Lower the tone. What? You're going to have another sip? Yeah. No, I think, I think we've already lowered the tone. 
Um, <laughs> so if so, would you advise sitting on something that is so you're not sitting on the ground? Basically, that's to stop the conduction, right? Well, you you mentioned Aaron recently about um, when meeting you at the top of that chimney. So I was at the top of the chimney a few years, and then I ended up at the end of the ridge for a, a couple of years and things like that. And it was where people turn left to go down into Glen Sanox. And I was in an orange bag for about four or five hours there. Uh, it, basically, I, I'd messed up a little bit and I'd forgotten uh, to take a bag and I wasn't really sure which, whereabouts on the ridge I was going to be. So I just took that orange survival bag out. But it was absolutely howling. It was awful weather. And to be fair, everybody, nearly everybody came across and asked me how I was. I was like, I'm fine. I was a bit cold, obviously. I was a bit wet and all the rest of it. But I'd sort of arranged everything so I could sit on a on a, on my back um, system out on my rucksack, which you don't get sadly in race vests. And um, I, I was reasonably comfortable, but I wasn't, oh, you know, I wasn't hundred percent sort of thing, obviously. But everybody came across, asked me how I was. Afterwards, I suddenly thought. What if I hadn't been? What if I had been one of the runners who'd gone to ground? What would you have done about, not you, you, but you as the individual sort of thing? What would you yeah. have done about it? And one bloke, you know, one bloke got all personal about it and sort of said, well, if you're such a knob, I wouldn't employ you for taking such stuff up on the hill and all that sort of thing. And, and another bloke sort of said... What? <laughs> well, yeah. Um, people just have these, it's an opinion, isn't it? They like their opinion. I don't Sometimes agree. people like that, I just want to go, I'll hope you fall over. Well, well I hope they don't where I am. <laughs> True. <laughs> not just not on your patch, go fall over on someone else's patch. Yeah, that's right. And and then some one like one bloke got in touch and sort of said, You just made me think I'm gonna go and do a first aid course. And I was like, Brilliant, that's a fantastic first step to go and have a look at. When you've got a bit more of an idea of what you want to do whether the first aid course is, is the right thing to do, I don't know. But you know how many people carry a first aid pack because it says so on the mandatory kit and not, they've not a clue with what to do with it. Yeah. yeah. Most of it is probably still all in the wrappers that it came in as well. Like it's not like people have actually got it out and like got to grips with any of the stuff. It's just like, oh yeah. Shit, I need something. What what can I possibly use? And then at that point you're panicking anyway. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's not after it's not every day that you come across an ouchie on somebody that you know necessitates necessitates a massive intervention, is it? Sort of thing. No. Yeah. Like from hypothermia, there's some really really good leaflets from the felt. I think part of your intro mentioned that I was a life member of the Felwinders Association or something like that. Mm-hmm. I hope I get value for money out of that. I hope I'm still mithering on when I'm a right old codger. Um, <laughs> Otherwise, I'd have wasted my money, wouldn't I? Um, <laughs> Hello. But, I would like 25 years of my money back, please. At the current <laughs> rate of inflation. Well, quite sadly, a mate of mine, when we, we were out on Mont Blanc, and quite sadly, a mate of mine died when we were out on, on Mont Blanc. And it was only about a month before he bought, like, a life membership of the, the Youth Hostel Association. So I thought I got in touch with the master if he could transfer it to me, really. He said, uh, that doesn't work like that. It's his life membership. And I was like, well, he didn't get long, did he? <laughs> Can you have some of the money back then? Nah, they didn't work for it. <laughs> if there's an ITV drama in this about you killing your mates that you get his youth hostel membership, just wondering. It <laughs> <laughs> was written by Judge Rinder. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> written by Judge Rinder. 
Um, the one in the book selling charts, apparently. Is it? Yeah, his new book. My aim, is, my aim is to sell more books than Judge Rinder. I think I've set the bar quite it's high. I it's think you a book at the Barclay or something like that, and people have come along and ripped the page out. Oh, that's the ultimate, isn't it, for your book to be at the Barclay? I'll send yeah. one to Lazarus. I'll send one to Laz Lake. Um, what was going to ask you? So, with that, just with that in mind, um, before I move on to what tunes are you going to put on the playlist? Um, what as runners, as trail runners, fell runners, ultra runners, um, what do you think is like the number one thing that we can do to educate ourselves to help mountain rescue out? Because you can't, you can't just when you bring mountain rescue, shit goes down, right? It costs a lot of money. They're not financed by the government, and it can be a right old kerfuffle. So, what's what do you think is the number one thing that we can do to educate ourselves so we don't have to do that? All mountain rescue teams in, in mostly in England, Wales, are, are volunteers. A lot in Scotland. There's a couple of teams that are like RAF teams and things. Um, I think have a learn about um, have a learn. That's good English. Have a have a learn about um, your layers and do a bit of brain training with them. I hear lots and lots of people sort of saying, oh, "I've done this part like session. I've done this hit session. I've done this, 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 and this." And that that's not going to keep you. You know, as soon as you stop, that's not going to keep you alive, basically. Um, and how do you keep yourself warm once you have stopped? You're, you, you know, a lot of runners, ultra runners, fast walkers or whatever they call these days, uh, just um, producing lots and lots of energy, which is just then going to go to waste. And that's what's going to be the worst thing for you. You will die from that. You won't die if you watch battery films. You won't die from loose quads, but you will die from hypothermia. <laughs> Correct. And reasonably quickly. There was a guy, obviously, you may have heard, there was a guy uh, up in the Lake District and he had a core temperature of 18 degrees. Bearing in mind that normal core temperature is 37 degrees, that's pretty chilly, really. He's on the nippy side there, that lad, and he survived. How did he survive? Uh, good luck, I think. <laughs> I don't really know. I think it's one of those things that, and I don't really know the guy, so I, I can't sort of go and ask him, well, how did you survive? Because he went through all those cycles of the, what happens when you get hypothermic and, and you um, sort of... Apparently it's like being drunk, but I, I, I can't... I don't know about that sort of thing. <laughs> the funny thing about the layers things, I think people don't... They think that if they put another layer on, on top of a wet layer, then they will still, they'll get colder and wetter, but it actually doesn't work like that. And I've had this experience myself where I've had one waterproof coat that's soaked through. And so it's soaked through to the next layer. But then I took the waterproof coat on, put another base layer on top, put the waterproof coat back on, even though it was wet. I was toasty warm for ages. If you look back on the history of the Owen Man Mountain Marathon, 2008 in the Lake District was a massive year. It was the first time in about 45 years that the Mountain Marathon had been cancelled. The only time they cancelled it was overnight, mate. It was an overnight camp. We'd been, I'd been out that day in a silk shirt, a base um, Marmot dry climb jacket uh, and a waterproof jacket. And that was all I wore all day. And I'd fallen in rivers. My mate had been, he's smaller than me and he'd been underwater at one point because he stepped into where the actual river was. Um, but I managed to change my base layer. And like you say, I, I, I sort of have a system now get to camp, 
on a metamarathon, and this is the same, obviously, as soon as you stop. I try and eat something as quickly as I can, so a jam butty or something like that, um, something that's going to be quick sugars and, and sort of slow sugars. I'll change my base layer, put a windproof on, put my wet base layer back on all the top of that, put another windproof on, and then put my insulated layer on, uh, and then put my waterproof jacket on. I used to walk around because, uh, like, your sleeping bag just sort of sits there then. Yeah. But I used to wrap my sleeping bag around me and then put my jacket, like, my waterproof jacket over the top of that and walk around with that as well. And people always thought I was a right fat knacker. And now they, now they know I am, really. You don't have to think about it. It just happens. Um, can you tell me about the time that you got trapped in a bivvy bag? <laughs> yeah, you already know this. This is a loaded question. I right? don't. It's a... Uh... <laughs> oh, I know. I'm sorry. Uh... I was trying to do the West Island way reasonably quickly uh, in about two two days or so, and we ended up sort of going for three days because it was absolutely gopping weather. And um, we got up to Ruadan, I think it was, and there was a pub not far from there, so not very far up, up the West Island way at all. We ate the pub because it was been chucking it down during the day. But we only had bivvy bags with us because we were sort of trying to go reasonably lightweight. Anyway, come back from the pub, got into bed, Zipped it over, did something I never normally do, um, and I zip, zip, zipped it over. And I woke up thinking, God, I need a wee. And then I was like really, really busting because I didn't want to get out and was still chucking it down. I was really, really busting, and so much so I had to hang on, sort of thing. And um, so I'm hanging on, and I tried to undo the zip with one hand. Next thing, I've got the zip puller in me on. <laughs> Bloody hell. And we got to get out now with one hand. And then I thought, right, the section above my head, like from my shoulder to, to, to above my head, is a sort of smallest section. That'll be the least damage to this Gore-Tex divvy bag that I've got. So I chewed my way out, and uh, and then as I got out, I only had my undies on, and um, it gloved me as I came out, because like, I, I was sort of still holding on. As soon as I got out, though, I let go, I flipping neck, it was, like one, it was like that fountain in Geneva. Um you pick your way out. <laughs> I want to know what the verb to glove is. Do I? Oh, you you get it. It's um like when you take your gloves off and yeah. like they set them tied out or something like that. Yeah. Um, and also like if you if when you if you were climbing and things like that, if you um got a ring on or something like that, and you leave your leave your finger in the in the crack in the wall oh. and you follow that ring will glove your finger. You can Google it. There's no. some real gory pictures don't, about don't, it. Brilliant. Don't put that no, on YouTube. Not that. No, it, oh. I'll send you a link later. And um, <laughs> so that's what gloving is, I guess. It's sort of just you... peeling your, well, peeling my knitting, basically, at the time. <laughs> so I ended up getting, I was like, how do I get back in? Because I've still got the zip in my hand. I've now known <laughs> it. We went through. So I thought, do I go feet first or go head first back into this bivy bag? Anyway, I, I thought, no, I can't go feet first. I can't do a tuck turn in bottom of it. I'm not like Tom Daly. And, oh, we know yeah. he's a diver, isn't he? Uh, a swimmer or what? Doing a tuck yeah. turn in bottom bivy bag. Plus I'm wet through. Uh, but I had a smaller bladder, so that was the only saving grace. <laughs> so I went, I went back in... Um, Feet first, sort of thing. So not head first. I went in feet first and sort of shuffled my way back in through this tiny little slot. It was like posting myself. Uh, that's the only time I've been a first class male. And uh, 
it. And uh, anyway, I got back inside my bag and I woke up in the morning. The rain had come in and slugs and whatnot and had come inside my bag inside the hole that I'd left. And I woke up in the morning and I thought, how am I going to get out again? I'm going to have to go out through all again, aren't I? <laughs> and then I looked around on the zip and there was a second zip because oh. it was a double zip. Oh, stay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bugger, man. That would have saved me a fortune. In fact, not long ago, because we just had to move out, I found that same bivy bag that I must have stored away somewhere. It's still got the hole in it. This Brilliant. 15 odd years ago, maybe more. I'll save that just in case. Just for a yeah, yeah, yeah. You can use it for summer, can't you? Oh, yeah. It's like we had the tent blowaways on, on the Northern Traverse last year. And it was super windy up at Richmond, and the tent blew away. Like it was a, you know, those eight person tents that you were sleeping in and on the dragon's back. Yeah. Like uh, you pump it up type thing and you get eight people in it. It was one of those that blew away. With people it, in it? it well, no, I just stepped out, actually. I'd put my sleeping bag stuff down, and this other girl, Katie, had put her sleeping bag stuff down. I just stepped out, and next thing, woof, it went. And it went over this, like, three-metre set, set of trees. And we weren't, I not a clue where it had gone. We went running, this is like 11 o'clock, 11.30 at night now. And we went running round corner, and there were, we found it. It was stuck to the roof of this house. <laughs> Round a cable, and we weren't sure if it was an electricity cable or a, a telephone cable. It turned out it was a telephone cable. So we phoned the fire brigade, and they came out. But I was up, like, with two or three of us then holding it, because it was now wrapped round with all our kit in it. It had the keys. Yeah, with, like, spiky, like, sticks sticking out of it. Yeah. Oh, no, it's blow-up, isn't it? It has no sticks. So all our kit was in it. My jacket was in it with my wallet and the keys and everything. We had the... the, uh, the, the Race director's keys in it, and um, anyway, the fire brigade turned up. We were just trying to hold on to it, and I was like, "The only way to get this out is to cut it." So I cut the the bottom of the um, the tent. You didn't bite it. That... <laughs> you didn't use the teeth. No, I didn't bite it. <laughs> I'm advanced these days. I'm much more advanced now. I just don't use my ashes anymore. <laughs> um, anyway, I cut it. And it was like a caesarean on the tent and all this camping kit just keep coming out. So, and it's like a sleeping bag. Yeah, throw that down. A roll mat. Yeah, throw that down. Katie's wash bag, which was open. Throw that down. I got covered in all sorts of things there. And um, anyway, this made like the Richmond press. <laughs> <laughs> Brigade had turned up. Oh, one it was like Dad's army in some ways. One guy turned up with a pitchfork or something, or something like that, a hoe, something from a garden or something. He's like, this any use? I'll just give it a prod with this and that'll get it off. And then the the the, the guy rope got caught around the gutter in, and the family weren't helping too much from the house. The fireman got up on the roof and he cut the cut the guy rope and all that to get it off. And dropped the blinking knife, which went in between like two of my fingers oh my and God. stuck in the roof. Oh. <laughs> I was a bit I was a bit fortunate in some ways that way. I love these <laughs> stories of when things that are very basic happen to people that are very experienced. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so I up some rickety ladder trying to hold onto this tent and giving birth to camping kit. <laughs> and um yeah, this, and it made the, the Richmond Press or whatever it's called. 
Um, race race has a tent that blows away fire fire service tent. What what race was it? <laughs> uh, Northern Traverse. Oh God, Northern Traverse. Was it this year? Mm-hmm. No, very, very windy last year. Oh, this year it was cold. Yeah, it was uh, 2022 because I've just found the article online. Oh, have you? Have you? Is there a picture of Stu yeah, going? Yeah. Is there a picture of Stu trying to bite a hole in the bottom of it? <laughs> Sadly, there are no there are no birthing pictures of Stu in it. Unfortunately, that's a shame. That's a shame. It was all it was all at dark. It was all sort of in panic mode and all that sort of thing. That's a shame. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. Let's talk about the sound system quickly because this is this has gone on quite a long time. Stu, if you can add three songs to our sound system playlist, what are those yeah. three songs going to be and why? Uh, once in a lifetime, talking heads. Tune, absolute tune. Uh, they're just that opening, opening first few beats. That that uh, that, that gets me up and doing my signature manoeuvre. Um, which is we'd quite like to see at some point. Yes, <laughs> if you could send us a video of that, we'll put it on our Instagram with that song over the top of it. Thank you. Right. Um, Heroes, David Bowie. <gasps> Tune. We've got no uh, Bowie on there, I don't think. No, we haven't. No. Good. I think they, they were always in my top five or ten tunes. Um, ooh, and then, oh, I don't know. There's Trojan, a lot of discs. It's hard, this, isn't it? Trojan Reggae 1969 compilation album. What, the whole thing? <laughs> the whole album? Yes, please. <laughs> yes, please. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, you are so nicely. Trojan <laughs> Reggae Sisters Collection. Trojan um, Reggae 1969. They did one every year. They did tighten up albums. And they were always like some... It was a bit 1970s, so it was always some um, curvy lady on the front cover. Got it. Trojan Records, Spirit of 69. Spirit of 69. Yeah, everybody needs a Spirit of 69. Everyone needs a Spirit of 69 every now and again. I think that when you were when you were stuck in that bivy bag, you were the Spirit of 69. That's what it looks like, an orange worm man. Right to get way out. <laughs> Don't be um, smutty. I'm not being smutty. That's... <laughs> Those are your thoughts. That's your head. You keep them to yourself. Thank you very much. Uh, so, what's what's your next? What's your next adventure? Where are you going next? Borneo on Thursday. What are you doing out there? Or is it top secret? No, no, it's nothing top secret um, except secrets that are top. Um, I'm working with a group that I've, been, I've worked with a school group from the Midlands that I've worked with a few times. We went to Ethiopia and to Ladakh and uh, every space camp. Um, we're off to Borneo all this time. Wait, this sounds like an incredible school. I live in the Midlands and I didn't do this with school. Oh, well, you need to, um, you need the teacher who's a bit of a superstar in some ways. What part of the Midlands are they from? Junction, near Junction 10. Oh, a bit further north than me. Yeah. Oh, I did, we did get a top. I, on, you missed on the, on the next training course, you missed out. Um, Petzl guys came along and then... Beth Pascal came along. Uh, she, she she did a bit of a talk on nutrition. I've been Beth for ages and ages and ages. Lovely to see her. I didn't realise she won Western States thing. She did until somebody told that me that little jaunt, just that little thing. She's been injured for a while there, hasn't she? She has. Yeah, she was sort of saying about that and how she's like her uh, having to readjust in her head to uh, and her body sort of thing to 
to uh, recovering from her injury and things like that. She's been cycling quite a yeah, lot. Yeah, so. I've seen that. But you know what happened now? She become like the, the world's top adventure cyclist, won't she? Because she's amazing and she does yeah. that. What are you? So you're talking about the thirteen valleys recce days that you um, that now four have been doing that Anna attended. She attended one of them. Are you doing the safety for thirteen valleys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've just been looking at uh, George, uh, Joe Faulkner, and Charlotte Attersley have uh, been much more involved than I have to take. Truth. Will I see you somewhere on the side of a Wainwright when I'm crying? Will you be there to put your arm around me, please? Are you going to be there on the events too? Yeah, and I can sit there with a brolly with you uh, if you want a quick smoke. And yeah, quick... that's just me. <laughs> that that would just be me. Make sure you've got um, waterproof mascara on. I don't want panda eyes, right? Like that. Okay, doesn't... Oh no, I'm not. A, I'm not a mascara runner. Don't you worry about that. No, I. I will not be crying. He, do, he doesn't. He doesn't like women. He doesn't like women or men rubbing their faces on his nice jacket that makes yeah, him look like he's no, in the SAS. Don't worry, I won't be doing that. Yeah, and I've got he me waterproof like maps. Yeah, and I've got me nav somewhere here they are been practicing i've been practicing what fun dabby dozy look at that yorkshire that was for my colder day away which turned out to be signposted <laughs> i ran around a few years ago a friend a friend of mine uh after we left school her daughter was in the paper with cerebral palsy so i thought oh i'll go and she was after some money for a wheelchair so i thought oh i'll go and run around colder day away I was going to do Rosendale Way and Calderdale Way together, which is like 50 miles each or something like that. And yeah. I thought, well, who cares, really? Nobody knows. Nobody knows what. If you run around 50 mile, 26 mile, 100 mile, people just sponsor you whatever, don't they? They're not sponsoring you per mile. They're just sponsoring you for getting out at way and making room at the bar. And um, <laughs> so I had a bit of a trot about around there and raised about 400 quid, I think. Men. I, That's yeah. a legend. I'd, I'd sponsor you for anything, Steve. <laughs> I'm running off the Wainwrights. I did another one, which was a run around Bolton for British Diabetic Association. A run around Bolton? Yeah, Bolton was the biggest town in England, I think, and it had, a, it had an old parish boundary before 1972 of about, hmm, it was, I think it was 56 miles or 55 miles. Oh, 50 miles. It doesn't really matter, does it? And, um, no. So I, no well, I set off from there. There's like a, a hill called Winter Hill with a big mast up it. If you've ever done the Three Towers race or, or something around Bolton, you'll, you, you can't not miss it. And um, so I ran around there. A mate of mine said he'd come and join us. And I, I did the first 25 mile reasonably quickly, or 26 mile reasonably quickly, about four hours or so, something like that. And he'd gone shopping. I hadn't seen him since setting off first thing in the morning when he dropped me off at, at the mast. Which is a bad plan because I had to climb back the bill again to finish. But and I was like, he's got me Bolton South map, and he's got a bit of food for us. So I, I was like, waited a little bit. I left a note. This is like pre-mobile phone things, and I left a note in a phone box. Um, <laughs> and I thought, right, I've gone. This is the time I left at. I've gone. Whether he actually ever found that, I don't know. So I asked from people they were coming out the house to go shopping in the morning as we ran through this housing estate. I asked them for some water and they were like, where are you going? We can give you a lift if you like. I said, no, no. <laughs> anyway, I set off again. And so I didn't have a map. I just had to sort of remember parts of the route and and uh, look in this little notebook thing that this guy had got, written about the, the route. So I never saw him until about four miles from finish. 
And he, I said, where were you? And he said, oh, I went shopping. I didn't think you'd be so quick. <laughs> and, I, and I slowed down on the second half and he thought I'd still be as quick and he'd, he'd been to work right one road crossing previously. And then I got back to the finish. I run up to the finish and he happened to be up there. I said, well done, Mike. Um, they're coming for a pint. He said, no, no, I'm tired now. <laughs> it's getting up early in the morning. <laughs> Chasing you around all day. <laughs> so I went for a pint. He dropped me at the pub. And I went for a pint on my own. Back to Guinness. And that was my tea. And I went home from that and walked it home. Nothing with that. I reckon there's probably about 700 calories in a pint of Guinness. It's like a cake. Yeah. It's like a booze cake. Oh, it's delicious. Yeah. And also, he said the banned words of the crew. I'm tired. We've said yeah. that that is the one thing that crew are not allowed to say. Crew. I don't, yeah, that's another phrase I don't like. No, you don't like Whoa. crew, do you, Stu? No, Stu doesn't like crew, neither does um, oh. Joe Faulkner. No, why not? FKTs I'm not so keen on. I just think it's a bit of... um clickbait really i think so as well i'm not keen on them i'm i like okts the only known times i like world firsts but i'm not massive on fkts well, gary t we're talking about okts the other day oh yeah love an okt there's a new uh go on instagram and do i think it's what they're doing it might be uh only known time i can't remember anyway it's Bo from innovate and kirsty from vertebrate and they're doing they're encouraging more women to do only known times on just to get more women to do the whole trail running thing. But the problem I've got with FKTs is they can always get taken away from you. And also, there's no rules. It's really to like... Contextual. I think the, the sort of the outstanding one I have to think of at the moment is, is I think, uh, Pavel, I think his name is. He ran the Cape Wrath in about three days. Yeah. And which, which, is, which sort of works as an FKT as there is no definite, definitive route for Cape Wrath. So he's got the... Fastest known time on the route that he's done on the Cape Wrath. I'm sure there's other people who've ran the same route that uh, Cape Wrath Ultra runs and possibly got a different time again. To be honest, it's, it's very contextual, isn't it? I'm fastest known block to have uh, got from my, my chair to my beer as it starts to fall over. Exactly. So literally, you could do from your house, the post office, and back. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, we've still got a post office in the village. That's amazing. So I, and my post office is probably less than a 30-second walk. I reckon I could probably do there and back to my house in 30 seconds. Oh, it's half a mile. It's half a mile before I go home to Castle Grounds. I'm going to do it. <laughs> uh, this has been an absolute pleasure, and I wish that I could just sit here and chat with you all, all day and all night, but I can't because I've got a job to do. Right. And so is Stu. Well, I hope I've had a couple questions, and I hope I've been able to be useful for you you are incredibly useful and also incredibly entertaining and um what i just want people listeners to understand is that Stu has you need to go on his website on the um what is your website i've got a, an old blog that people keep telling keep revisiting but adventure in mind or one word yeah adventure in mind and then there's now for adventure the, their website where Stu and joe do courses and they do Races, really good races, actually. I'm thinking I'm going to come and do Tour de Helvellyn in December because I was supposed to do it last year, but I wasn't very well. So I'm going to come and do it this year. It becomes a bit of a party for a lot of people who've done some of the longer events, like the the the, uh, the stage races or expedition races. Yeah. If Anna's still alive after 13 Ultras, if you manage to keep her alive, then it's your your responsibility. Then I'll make her, I'll drag her down in December. I think it's like, it's like the 
the day the, the, like Saturday before Christmas or something. It's really cold, really icy. That was a shortest weekend, yeah. Yeah, and it's itself now. So you'll love it, Anna. Sounds great. Sounds great. Stu, thank you so much for your time and for your expertise. Um, we would like it if you'd like to uh, be a little, not regular, we're not saying week in, week out, because otherwise then you become an employee and then we have to do pensions and tax and shit. But maybe we could send you some voice notes every now and then of, of uh, dilemmas that our listeners have out on the trails and the mountains and you could give them your uh, wise words of advice. I would love to. I, uh, yeah, I would love to. Every outdoor instructor loves to send their own voice, don't they? And I'm no exception, I guess. <laughs> this is the start of something incredible. This is the start of what would Stu do? What would Stu do? What would Stu do? Yeah. Oh, I'll send you some dilemmas. And if you and, and and Anna can send some dilemmas, if we get any dilemmas. I'm sure we will. And, uh, and yeah, send us a little voice note with what you think. And then we can just slide it into the pods when we do our pods. It'd be great. Like a virtual Stu. I need one of those apps, an app called What Would Stu Do, where I could just ask it. You, you, you're humbling me. It's um, above and beyond the reason. Thank you very much. That's okay. Oh, Stu, we love you so much. We think you're brilliant. And thank you. You don't big yourself up enough because you're just a really lovely, humble guy who knows a lot about stuff that we don't would like to learn yeah we don't yeah. Li- literally if it wasn't for Stu if it wasn't people like Stu Joe get even Gary T like the safety teams the logistics managers the people that do the routes people that do the nav the people that do the risk assessments all the stuff that you don't see when you sign up for these races is so integral to like your safety as runners and also um the safety of the teams that, that put the races on so it it's great to actually talk to someone like Stu who is so knowledgeable and brilliant and an integral part of the community be nice to your marshals thank you so much do have a wonderful time in borneo keep those midlands kids safe oh thank you very much thanks very much for inviting me along and and i do appreciate it and and keep it real out there folks keep it real always check this always check if there's a second zip before biting a hole in your biffy bag i love you bye bye bye